from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for Friday, February 10th, 2023. The Bucks have a couple of big home games this week. Tuesday, it's the Celtics, and Thursday, it's the Bulls. Well, today is National Cream Cheese Brownie Day, and then Tuesday, it's Valentine's Day, in case you forgot. I suggest you check out the Bucks game and get your Valentine a cream cheese brownie. You can pretend it's all your idea. Speaking of Valentine's Day, it's the annual San Antonio Zoo news story. For 10 bucks, they will name a cockroach after your ex and feed it to other zoo animals. Some say it's the best 10 bucks they ever spent. Not to be outdone, the Hamilton, Ohio Zoo, for five bucks, will name a cat's litter box after an ex. That's right, we're laughing at their pain. Hey, speaking of zoos, the director of the zoo in Mexico is accused of cooking four pygmy goats for a New Year's banquet. That started an investigation, and they discovered 14 other animals are missing, probably the delicious ones. (laughs) According to the TripAdvisor, the finest restaurant in Montreal is Les Nouveaux. The reviews are outrageous. Diners raved about the menu, and it got 85 five-star reviews. Just one problem. The place doesn't exist. Maybe the TripAdvisor can post reviews of the pygmy goat dinner. And along that line, a Chinese food blogger and wannabe social media influencer has been fined nearly $19,000 after filming herself cooking and devouring a great white shark. Quick, someone call Richard Dreyfus. Finally, a man who tattooed his entire body, head to toe, front to back, and also had his ears removed, says his mother accepts him for who he is. But for some reason, he can't find a job. <laughs> On the podcast today, we have Dave Sandstrom, Mike Helsel, Joel Driesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max. A tough week overall for the stock market. The NASDAQ down 2.4%. Closing today at the bell at 11718 the S&P 500 down 1.1%, closing at 40.90. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, after a rough week last week, a little better this week, uh, at least relatively speaking, down two-tenths of a percent, adding 170 points today to finish at 33.869. For the year, the Dow Jones now up 2.3%. Broader markets, the S&P up 6.7%, and the NASDAQ up a, a pretty stellar 12% to start the year. You know, I think important reminder that in the middle of what's been a pretty significant rally for stocks so far, we still have some weeks where we get reminded that there are plenty of questions still out there, that valuations have become maybe a little bit higher than what we'd been comfortable with for a while. And I think investors rightfully pull back every once in a while just to kind of make sure that things remain in check. And so, Dave, maybe a reminder that there's some alternatives to stock now that we didn't have before. Kyle, you know, I think part of this goes back to the fact that I think people don't realize that the rally's been going on since probably October. You know, this is this has been fairly lengthy in the, in the markets. I think most people just have a tendency to think we kind of started over on January 1st, and really it's only a month long and it's early stages. But this has been a pretty sustained rally. And 
uh, I think what you're referring to is we had a conversation earlier about uh, interest rates at the really at the short end of the yield curve right now, primarily as it relates to cash. And I'm not suggesting uh, for a minute that we're talking about liquidating current assets and, and sitting in cash. But for those of you that do have elevated levels of cash, perhaps in a savings account even, or even in your investment accounts, it, it isn't necessary to get real antsy about deploying that. I mean, I think we all got in this habit because we spent 10 years at zero uh, where people weren't earning anything on their cash that they have this kind of this leftover feeling of I can't hold any cash because I'm losing out. And now the fact that, you know, the average high yield savings account in the country is at 3.3 percent when just 12 months ago is less than half a percent and a 12 month CD now uh, on average across the country at 4.4 percent. And a year ago was at 0.6. I mean, that's those are significant increases at the short end. So again, I, I just want to point out to people that it, there isn't this this you know anxiety or, or or need to to feel like you have to jump on things and and jump into this rally and move your cash because you're making some money right now on, on that safe investment. Dave, I also saw. I, th- I think the nationwide average for a savings account is. Way below that, it's it's still you know a lot of a lot of accounts haven't changed. They're still way you know under one percent. And and here that you bring up a great point, Joel, because your bank isn't going to track you down and tell you what their best offerings are necessarily. They, if you have a big you know balance in your checking account, for example, you're probably not getting paid on that. Uh, so if you if you are going to have some excess cash sitting at the bank, I would make that phone call and say, hey, what can you guys do for me? in a high-yield account or, or something that's paying a little bit more than the checking account is. Yeah, what I appreciate about this conversation is you go back a year and the difference between 0.01 and 0.05 on your cash balances isn't all that significant. And so it's probably not worth your time to you know call up the banker and go, hey, what's the alternative to this? Well, we can get you 0.05. I'll take it. Yeah, okay, it's a couple of extra pennies a year. The difference between 2 and 4 especially on large cash balances, is a pretty big number. How do you value your time? A couple hundred bucks an hour, maybe. Well, okay, that difference between two and four on even a few thousand dollars is going to make up for that pretty quick. And so I had a a couple of conversations this week, one with uh, one of my very favorite clients talking about um, this very thing. What do we do with cash? And um, you know, I, I relayed that it used to be that you shopped your banks based on you know, what the deal was, what toaster are you going to give me? What, uh, what's the, what's the gimmick, right? How am I going to get the most benefit I can out of this bank account? Well, now we're shopping rates and the banks that really want your money are willing to give you cash to bring your money over. So not only are they offering more attractive interest rates, but there's sign-up bonuses. There's all kinds of ways that when you're shopping out there, you can take advantage. The one caution is if it's safe money, make sure that what you're putting it in is safe. And that might mean FDIC insurance for a lot of people. It might mean, uh, you know, that you've got some certainty that there's somebody on the other end of the phone if you need need to make a phone call. Understand what those trade-offs are. And then most importantly, understand, here's what I can get if I'm willing to accept this. And Kyle, I think people who are um, maybe a little skittish about shopping for something like that should also have a discussion with their advisor because there's also opportunities in money market mutual funds that are paying a lot better than most bank accounts right now. 
And I think that really is the key. And, and Dave, you, you hit the, the nail on the head. We're not suggesting sell what you have because cash is the only alternative. We're suggesting that if you have cash, we should have a conversation about what best to do with it. So, like, I've had probably two or three conversations just in the past few months of people that have sold their houses, right, kind of older people looking to downsize, and they don't know what to do with their money. And after I've talked to them about money markets here that are paying over 3% or we have some other things that are paying over 4 they just want to stick it in there. And I talk about the psychology of the investor a lot, but after the year we had last year, they just plunked their money into the, the money market, earned their 3 3.5%, and they are beyond happy with it. They're, they can sleep better at night knowing the profits they made from their house are just earning a little bit of money, not to the whims of the market. They don't have to look at their statements a lot anymore, which I don't recommend, recommend you do a lot anyway. But like you guys have all said, it just kind of helps them relax a little bit after the year that we had. Mike, this one maybe is right in your wheelhouse. There's a few times a year in which things come up that fit uh, very uniquely in your skill set. Um, so I'll set you up for this one. We're supposed to be rooting for the Eagles this weekend in the big game, right? Uh, yeah, like let's let's just get to it. This is what we've all come here to talk about, um, the Super Bowl, everybody. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of funny, a little historical quirk, that if the NFC wins, it's better for stocks the entire year than if the AFC wins. Now, obviously, that's not 100% historical accuracy because if you look at last year uh, – the Rams won, and the market was completely down. So, but having said that, yes, if you like stocks going up, root for the Eagles. If you like stocks going down, root for the Chiefs. Well, and I think <laughs> I'm this, not going to blame you. <laughs> this uh, this idea that there are correlate correlations out there that tell us what we should expect from the market is a very different conversation than what actually drives markets long term. And so uh, it always amazes me that we talk about the Super Bowl indicator or the Santa Claus rally or, uh, you know, if the first year, month of the year is a good month and you expect good things for the rest of the year. All, all of those have some correlative history, right? They have some correlation between what's happened in the past with the that particular indicator, the NFC winning and the stock market doesn't actually tell us much about what to expect. And so uh, I think the bigger thing to point out is just how much money is out there chasing gambling this year. A lot, if you want the short answer. <laughs> um, this is going to be the most bet on Super Bowl in history. And that a lot of that has to do with, obviously, states coming in with more mobile gambling. So you can just live bet from your phone throughout the game. Um, but you can just bet on anything, right? I mean... I was telling these guys beforehand, you can bet on what color is Rihanna's dress when she comes out, or her outfit for halftime. There is one of the biggest bets on the Super Bowl is not the game itself. It's the coin toss. More money is almost bet on the coin toss than the actual game itself because people know right away, and we're an instant gratification country, whether you've won or lost. <laughs> As of now, there is a $38,000 bet somewhere in Vegas on the coin toss. I'm is, not making this is up. Is there any correlation between heads or tails and how the market does for the rest of the year? <laughs> I will dig deeper and get back to you. But it's funny you bring up correlation. There's an interesting correlation with the ads, the commercials of the game. For the ones that invest the heaviest, it's almost a bear market indicator, right? And you look back to last year, what were two massive, like you saw ads throughout the whole game. Bitcoin, we've already gotten into that one multiple <laughs> times, and gambling. Now, gambling stocks have gone down. They've taken a hit a little bit. 
But it's just funny that you can just, again, not 100% accuracy, but some of these correlations kind of stick out of, like, the, the businesses that want to grow themselves. Like, all right, we're going to spend a ton of money in the Super Bowl. And then, like nothing, then they just go down. Nothing happens, right? So beer so, and pizza ads, I be, I'm betting. <laughs> no, those are staples. Those are never going anywhere. But, yeah, it's to Kyle's initial point of you are going to see, you're going to see reports of just insane amounts of money bet on the Super Bowl. Probably they said over $16 billion. And I think what I appreciate about this conversation to bring it back to investing is that so often we look at those kinds of things as, well, yeah, it's fun to put a few dollars on, uh, you know, on the Eagles to win and hope that the market rallies. It's fun to maybe place a, a little bet on whether it's heads or tails or what color Rihanna's dress is going to be. I think it's a separate conversation from what's actually going on in the world. Um, and maybe the advertising piece is a little more indicative of what we should be expecting going forward, looking at kind of who thinks they need to get their name out there more is a good idea. Uh, I'd argue if you see Bed Bath & Beyond advertising for the Super Bowl, <laughs> that may tell you all you need to know. Um, those $20 off coupons uh, not going as far as they used to there. So, um, I, again, I think it's always interesting to have that conversation. It's always interesting to kind of uh, joke around about what's this mean for the market. The reality is we care more about the fundamentals. We mm -hmm. care more about anything beyond simply what's the next bet because that's not what investing is about. Absolutely. I think as we look at, you know, maybe some of the economic data that's out there, Joel, more signs that um, while the economy is strong enough, things are slowing. Yeah, there's some resilience there. And we talked about this last week with the, uh, the employment numbers, adding half a million jobs in January and getting down to 3.4% unemployment, which is the lowest since 1969. Um, there's that's those are signs of a strong economy. At the same time, we're seeing more signs that the economy is slowing down, which is the whole point of the Fed raising interest rates to try to slow down the economy so that inflation isn't as fast as it was. Um, I, I looked up something just before I came in here, um, Google Trends. So it, it tracks uh, the percentage of people or the number of people or how many times people are going on to Google to search for certain terms. And the term recession was at its peak last June and July. It's back down now to about where it was a year ago. So, you know, that's one unscientific, you know, indicator that, that maybe people aren't as worried about the economy, you know, slipping into recession again because of those higher interest rates, because of a fear that the economy is going to slow down too much. And I think as we look at, you know, kind of broad measures of economic economic activity, there's this hope that the Federal Reserve can navigate what we call the Goldilocks economy, right? The not too hot, not too cold. Um, I think the fear continues to be, and one of the reasons why we care more about other pieces of the portfolio right now is, okay, well, what if they can't navigate that Goldilocks economy? What does it look like if they go too far? What does it look like if they don't go far enough? Um, and so I think it's why right now the focus needs to be on two things. Number one, it needs to be on safety. Do you have enough? Do you have things in your portfolio that are going to provide for you? Understanding the conversation we had earlier about how a lot of safe things actually offer much more attractive returns, much more attractive yields uh, than what we could get in the past. That's true of cash. It's true of bonds. The opportunity set's just that much greater. 
But the second is for those things that we don't need safety for, what do we care about looking into the future? Uh, and I think one thing that was made clearer this week, Dave, in the State of the Union address, we're in an environment in which economic policy continues to be fairly nationalist. That this idea of building the American economy back up and manufacturing in particular is a big part of that. But billions of dollars being spent in semiconductor manufacturing and developing green energy, those are all things to me that while I'm excited about opportunities overseas, those are all things to me that suggest that when you look beyond what the next recession looks like, there's a pretty strong case for investing in U.S. stocks. Good point, uh, Kyle. One thing I'll add to that is one of the potential longer-term positives of the tight labor market that we are experiencing right now is companies need to invest in productivity. Uh, you can't just throw bodies at it anymore. We just don't have, have the people. The demographics aren't leaning that direction. So we need to come up with strides in automation, <clears throat> artificial intelligence, robotics. Those are all things that could potentially lead to some pretty significant increases in manufacturing here in the United States as we go down those roads. But that's something that corporations in this country are going to absolutely be dealing with uh, for the foreseeable future. And, and Dave, I'd, I'd include job training in there because, you know, notoriously, um, I mean, companies don't have to really train workers. You know, we expect that through the education system or that workers do that on their own. But I think in tight labor situations, um, employers who really are enlightened and, and want to hang on to the, the, the workers they have will invest more in their workers, and that will add to the product productivity too. And I think most importantly, as we look at what that means for American manufacturing, in particular looking at semiconductors, even when the workers are there, it's far more expensive than it would be to manufacture in other places to pay American labor. And so you're looking for what's the higher purpose of this labor, it's probably not the assembly, which you can do with a robot and automation. It's, you know, the oversight and the design and all of those elements, which I think clearly will be the piece that adds value long term. And so um, I think I'm incredibly uh, optimistic about the direction of profitability, uh, incredibly optimistic about kind of what the economic engine looks like going forward. Uh, and candidly, I think it allows us to focus beyond, you know, what the next recession looks like, yeah, we, we think it could come. It's going to be shallow and, and fairly uh, fairly short-lived when it gets here, as long as we're not dealing with a lot of other problems at the same time. But beyond that, again, I'm pretty optimistic about that opportunity. So maybe with that, enjoy doing the program for you all. Uh, looking forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalkatlandis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>